talking about family this, this month, and uh, family is something that's really precious to me and hopefully to all of you, because that's how God chose to change the world, is through, through family. If you think of, we're going to get to this, but we think, if you think of Jesus Christ, He is a son. God reveals Himself as a, as a father. If you think of the other religions in this world, for instance, Allah has 99 names. Not one of them is Father. There's something special about Father. There's something special about family. And we want to we wanna take this truth, but it's also something that we need to really practice. We need to practice family. Because family is the one thing that will ultimately reveal who God is, and also it will change the world. So I'm very privileged to come um, and be part of a family. And often when we think of, of, of family, we only think of your, your dad, your mom, and your siblings. That's kind of our idea of, of family. But family actually is, is the people that came before you, your great, 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 great granddad that you never knew that served Jesus. Exodus 20 speaks of there's a blessing to the thousand generation. Often we... We only focus on the curse that came to the third and the fourth generation. But there's a blessing that come down your family line. So when we think of family, and specifically when we think of biblical family, we need to think of generations also. And yes, the people that I live with, the people in my home, the people that frustrate me, the people that empty my wallet, the people that wake me up in the middle of the night, those people, those human beings that I live with, yes, they are my, my family. I just heard a dad joke over the weekend. Guy says, um, I have a photo of my family in my wallet so that I get reminded the reason why there's no money is because of them. <laughs> so we, we think of family in, in that context, but family is it's also generational. So that's my, my family up there. So we have Armo on the top right, those of you who don't know him. And then in the middle between Cornell and I, we have little, little Julia, and then Armo Jr., Nicholas, and Eva. And then Chase, also part of our family. Um, I've told my wife the other day, I think she... She's more kind to the dog than to me. Because I would, I would get to, to the house and then I would be told what to do with the kids or where to do this and that. But when Chase gets home or when we leave for a weekend or a week away, then we get home. Then Chase gets all the attention, even a kiss from my wife. So if Chase is part of the family, that's, that's our family. But then... There's also generations that came before us, and there's different lines of family blessing that came before us. So I'm just going to flight the next slide. So that is one of the family lines that I came from. So in the top left is Andrew Murray Sr. In the early 1800s, he left everything. He was a Scotchman. He went to study in, in the Netherlands studied Dutch so that he can come and preach to the Burkis. He became a Dutch reformed minister, stayed in Grafrenet, prayed for revival for 37, 37 years, and then one of his daughters 
Jemima then married another Duomini, Adrian Lowe, who was a Duomini in Paul. He liked the Dutch language. He even told, told his kids or his son that later became a missionary, you're not allowed to minister in Afrikaans. Because Afrikaans in that day and age were, ta- were talked by or were spoken by the, the poor white people and the colored people of the, of the Western, Western Cape. Then on your top right is, uh, it's Adrian, also A.A. Lowe. He was the first missionary from the Dutch Reformed Church sent to, to Zimbabwe. And um, he wanted to go and become a duomini, but then he fell ill. He couldn't finish his studies. And, and because you, you couldn't be a duomini without studying, then he thought he's just going to be a burki in Kulsberg. So he, then fortunately, somebody figured out that to be a missionary, you don't have to study. So he then became a missionary, and he was sent to Zimbabwe, Morgenstern. That was before they found out what's the cause of malaria. So now they're sending this sick young man with an ox wagon to Zimbabwe. I read his, read, his, read his journal. His dad wasn't too keen to send him because he's probably going to die there. All they knew is that if you, if you stay in the valleys, then you will die. So you need to get a place that's elevated above the valleys, and you need to put your camp there, and that's where you need, need to live. And then he became 94 years old. When he was on his deathbed, they were actually in, in holiday in Pretoria. They realized he doesn't have too long to live. He told the people he needs to go back to his mission station with the ambulance now because he wants to die in Zimbabwe, in Morgenstern. When he arrived there, they found out that he's not too ill anymore and he lived for a couple of weeks longer. <laughs> Sacrificed everything on an ox wagon. Think of taking an ox wagon from, from the Cape, the Western Cape, up to Zimbabwe. One, one story that I liked is on the Sunday they found out that the lions killed their ox, one of their oxen. And then they had to go and shoot a lion. That's a normal mission trip for them. Just go and shoot the lion while you're on your way to your, to your destination. So he, he, he found at the mission station Morgenstern, and then his daughter, daughter married Martinez Stein. He was a missionary and also a missionary doctor, Cecile Stein, that's in our congregation, she is this, actually your dad, it's your dad, so your, your mom stayed with, with them as a, as a helper, eh? and then after, she was an adopted daughter, and then later Martinez Stein realized that he can't live on his own, and he adopted, or he married Cecile Stein's mother, and then his, his other daughter married Kenny O'Kennedy. That's my granddad. I couldn't find a picture of my wife, of my granddad and my, my grandmother. And then my dad's then... My dad's my dad. So he's the son of, of Kenny O'Kennedy. And this is where I'm at. 
So, the reason why I, I study the previous generations is to, to realize what kind of responsibility that I have. What's the responsibility that I have? I spoke to one of my cousins and he, he messed up and he, with his life and he said almost, so one of the biggest things of shame in his life is that he felt like he's, he messed up this blessing of the bloodline in, in, our, in our family. So I know that I'll be more judged than most of you because of the blessing that came through the bloodline. But what I know God is speaking to me about is to, to help people to establish family in such a way that there will be a blessing flowing through you that it will ultimately impact generations to come. All of those people, every generation, they had a choice to make. They could decide, I'm going to take what I've received and I'm going to work with it and then God's going to give me more or I can just throw it away. I can follow selfishly my own desires, my own will, or I can choose to build on the foundation that my parents laid for me. One of the things that we grew up with is that my dad said, my children... This is what I've given you. And this can be your ceiling. If you receive what I have given you. But you can also throw it away. My dad, for instance, never told us that you're not allowed, when we, you're not allowed to smoke, you're not allowed to get drunk. He never told us that. All he said is this, I trust you. You know what is right? I trust you. We were grade nine and we were lifesavers here in Sedgefield. I don't know who gives a beach to grade nines, 15-year-olds. There was another grade 11 that worked with us. And we were in charge of the beach in Sedgefield as lifeguards. And then my parents came and visit. And then we told them, no, we're going to go to this beach party. We're going to leave them now. They, they just came and visit and we want to be with our friends. And we're going to go to this beach party. And my dad just said, I trust you. I trust you. So I never got drunk in my life. One of the big reasons for that was I had all the opportunities. I went to many of those beach parties. One of the big reasons was it's because I remember my dad saying, I trust you. And I realized because of, of our relationship, I never want to disappoint him in that relationship. So God wants to establish family that will eventually impact the generations to come. Because that's my family in the introduction. Now I just want to get a little bit of theology and then we're going to try and get practical at the end. So God revealed himself as the God of a, a family. Exodus 3 verse 6 says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So God is, is meeting Moses at the burning bush, and he says, this is who I am. I am a God of a family. Abram, Isaac, Jacob, that is who I am. I am their God. I am interested in that family. And then just a little later on, he also reveals himself as a father. Then 
He speaks to Moses and says, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Ectic statement. The point is, God says, Israel, by the way, Israel is another way, name for Jacob that he received when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, he received the name Israel. So Israel is basically a person in the generations that came from his seed. So, so God's saying, I am a father to a son. That is how I want to relate to people, to groups of people even. Is I want to see them as my sons and my daughters. Then we also see that God's solution is also a family term. It's a son, the Messiah, the one who will come and save the world, the one that will come and reign is God's son. That is how God chose to reveal him as a, as a son. When the heavens opened up at his baptism, what was the words that God spoke? My, this is my son, not this is the warrior man that will change the world, the king, the president, the Lord. No, this is my son that I love, my son in whom I'm well pleased. So God is constantly reiterating that he is in the family business and the way that he wants to change the world and also rule the world is through family, the principle of family, the foundation of family. And then John 3.16, Jesus himself says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the Messiah is a son. It speaks of family. You can only be a son if you have a father. So he's saying, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to establish the blueprint of family through Jesus Christ. So God's ideal, the chosen, God's chosen ideal for relationships is family. All of you sitting here, you crave relationships. All of you. Uh, and it, it doesn't take rocket science to realize that. You are born as a human being in the image of God. God is love. So your identity is founded in this idea that we are love and that we crave relationships. Because that's what love is. Is that it is where we want to be around people. We want to feel love. We want to experience love, but also we want to give love. So your identity and your purpose is rooted in relationships. And God says that the blueprint of how that relationship should operate, you should get from the idea of family. And I'm revealing it to you. I'm revealing it to you in the way that I have relationship with Israel, the nation, but also I'm revealing it to you how I have relationship with my son, God the Father. And then Jesus is manifesting that family idea when he calls the 12 disciples and when he has all these followers and he teaches them the, 
the principles and the doctrines of the kingdom of God. It's all about family. So if we want to be fulfilled in life, if we want to impact nations, then we need to start with building relationship and we must found it on the biblical idea of family. But also when I mention the word family, some of you might not relate to family in the way that I relate to family. Just the concept. If you think of family dinners during Christmas, what do you think of? Some of you think of tension. Some of you think of not having only one parent there, but having a, a dad there, maybe a stepmom, and then halfway through the day, you need to go and drive 200 kilometers, and you need to go and meet with your other parents because you come from a dysfunctional family, which is a reality. And there's, if you come from that family, there's, no reason to feel ashamed of that because it's not your doing, but you can choose now to draw the line and to say, from today onwards, I'm going to build relationship on this biblical idea of family. And we're going to look at what that will cost you. So family is, is then again built on covenant. Covenant is a spiritual contract where two parties make binding promises to each other before God. And if you look at biblical covenants, it's also interesting that, that God then comes and he says, I'm going to make that covenant with you. I'm not only going to allow for you to make agreements, but I'm also going to make that covenant. I'm going to be the one that established this covenant between you and me. And we'll look at that. The first one that we know of is the Abrahamic covenant. Or the most prominent one is the Abrahamic covenant. So this is what God speaks to Abram. And he doesn't have a family yet. He just has a, he has a wife. That's what he has. Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on, on the earth will be blessed through you. So when we just read that, and we don't look beyond what God is actually saying, we think, wow, Abram is a great man, and God will bless Abram. But if you look at how the story unfolds, you realize that God's actually saying that I have given you a seed, and that's a seed to establish a family. And I'm going to take that seed and I'm going to build it into something that will impact nations. You are now Abraham. You are the father of nations. At that stage, Abraham doesn't even have a kid. Later on, we know that God asked him to take that only kid that he has and sacrifice it in, on the altar to say, I rather worship God than I worship my destiny or my purpose or the dream or even the prophecy that's fulfilled. So this should be like your statement for your family, the mission statement for your family. Let's just read it again. Hey, O Kennedy's, God says that 
he's going to make us into a great nation, nation, and he will bless us. He will make our name great, and you will be a blessing, all of you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you, or curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you if you build on this idea of our family. So family is built on covenant. God made a covenant with Abram and he said, I am committed to doing this thing. I'm committed to build this family with you. It's a key to building healthy families. God says, I'm committed. I'm in this. I'm willing to help you. Two, the new covenant goes beyond blood family. So here we also see that the Gentiles, the people that didn't form part of Abram's biological seed can also receive this blessing of family that was bestowed on Abram. Therefore, it's from the Amplified Version, therefore, Romans 4, 16, therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the devotees and adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abram, who is thus the father of us all. So Paul's saying, there was a blessing on Abram, and in the old covenant, you can only receive the blessing of Abram through being a descendant of Abram. In other words, the blessing of family. Family can only be established within the confines of my covenant, and the confines of my covenant was limited to the blood being blood-related to Abram. But now in the new covenant, you can access that through faith. So now family is, yes, still a husband that loves his wife, a wife that loves her husband. And the family structure, that unit is still the way that God does impact the world and he wants to impact the world. It's so important that we always focus on that. The staff and our staff knows that if you say, hey, I have a family thing that I need to sort out, then you can leave your stuff and you can attend to your family. Why? Because family is more important than the task of ministry. And that's how we build a town. That's how we build kingdom. That's how we build church, through this unit of family. But then we know that some of us sitting here, we come from dysfunctional families, or we've made some choices. We may be divorced. And God says, don't fall into shame. Don't fall into condemnation. Because there is a higher reality, and that's the spirit reality. And that reality says that if you just now in faith accept Jesus Christ, then you can still receive the blessing of family, even though your earthly family is very dysfunctional and corrupt in, in whatever ways, even if you were the culprit in that situation, you can still receive the blessing of family 
through faith, you can receive what God promised Abram, and you can become part of that covenant where God says, listen here, Abram, I'm going to build this thing with you. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless Isaac. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to work in your family, the generations to come. If they submit to me, then I'm going to redeem all of this. So, if you come from a great family like I come from, just continue. Just build it. If you're young and you're not married, just trust the Lord for a godly wife. And then you tell your wife before you get married, listen here, we're going to pursue Jesus. We're not going to pursue our own desires and our own dreams. We might be a Scotsman, but we're going to go and minister to the Burkis in South Africa. Back up everything and we're going to come to South Africa and we're going to even, you know what, there's no hospitals. We might lose a child or two because that's what happened. They even had one of their children executed by the British Empire because they sided with the Buddha. So are you, are you willing? And then, hey, listen, your wife, uh, I'm cold, I'm sick, and I'm ill, but I'm called to Zimbabwe. There are diseases that kill people the moment they arrive there, but don't worry, signs say we must just camp out on the hilltops, not in the valleys. And then obviously we have God, so we're going to go there and we're going to raise our kids in Zimbabwe. Are you willing to go along? But what, what about, I want to get my kids through the Cambridge system. What about, what about their friends? They're not going to play rugby. They don't play rugby in Zimbabwe. So we can access the blessing that comes through covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, but there's a responsibility. And this is the last point. This is the most difficult part of family. And those of you who have held a baby like this, thinking about what this baby can do for you, you know this. You're like, God, what did I get myself into? Baby's gonna boofy? This baby is going to cost me lots of money. This baby is going to wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Not going to say sorry. It's just going to keep on screaming. This baby is maybe going to be the cause of conflict between you and your wife. So you understand that sacrifice. It's dying. Somebody said, if you really want to realize how selfish you are, get married. If you want to really, really know how selfish you are, get a child. And if you really, 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 really want to know how selfish you are, get four of them. (laughs) And a dog. Because covenant is actually, it's bold on death. And I'm going to just show you. God Abram, God and Abram's covenant So God gives Abram the blessing. He gives him the vision, but he doesn't tell them exactly how it's going to happen. He later on, like I said, tells him, hey, now you're going to kill your son to bring this thing into fulfillment. Think of death. Horrible God. Now God understands what it takes 
to realize covenant, to allow covenant to manifest. God and Abraham, Genesis 15, God says, hey, prepare the sacrifice for me. Lay the animals, uh, cut them in half, put them next to one another, make a little pathway. We're going to walk through there and we're going to cut covenant with one another so that you can stick to your side and I can stick to my side of this agreement. And then we know what God does is he puts Abram to sleep and he says, Abram, you won't be able to do this. Literally what God says. Now, you won't be able to do this. I'm going to put you to sleep and I'm going to walk the pathway. On behalf of you, I'm going to make this covenant on behalf of you. And then what happens in covenant is that you, the two parties, walk the pathway between the dead animals cut in two. It's a bloody mess. You walk through and you look back and you say, if you break the agreements, the terms and conditions of this covenant, then you can end up like that. Are you okay with that? Yes, I'm okay with that. Boom, shucks, covenant done, stamped. Picture of Jesus on the cross. Hey, people, human beings, I created you. I'm going to cut covenant with myself. And if you don't stick to this terms, these terms and conditions, then I'll die. Jesus pointing, or God pointing towards Jesus already. It's beautiful. So covenant has to do with sacrifice, with dying. That's what Jesus on the cross, that is God's seal of the new covenant. Jesus brutally murdered on the cross. It is the sign of the new covenant. And when we take communion, we do little juices and cracker breads. But it speaks of the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus. It's quite vile if you think of it. That's why in John 6 when Jesus said, You will not have any part of me if you don't drink my blood or eat my body. A lot of disciples just left him. Because it's so out there. It's weird. And the same with baptism. Baptism which is a sign of the new covenant, the old covenant circumcision, which for me it's far worse, but the new covenant's actually more demanding. New covenant is baptism. You commit to become part of God's holy people through faith in Jesus Christ, and then we put you in there and we take you down and you die. That's what it represents. Death. There's so much death in Christian doctrine. It's a big thing because you're dying to yourself. You are surrendering now to a higher call, to a higher purpose. You're saying, not me and my desires, Lord, not my little family, nice, cozy, and George play golf every second day, and we can go to the beach and beautiful mountains. No, Lord, if you want to send us to Secunda or Beaufort Vest or to Iran, We'll go for it. That's what you're saying. So we say, we die. And then we get raised again, resurrection power. That means that while we are walking to, we're walking, dying, there is power that flows through us, and that's God's power. 
And that's why kids that get raised in Andrew Murray Sr.'s house that see all this death and destruction, babies dying, brother getting killed, they become pastors. Five of them become Duermanis. And the generations after them are blessed because of a father that sacrificed, a mother that sacrificed. And then even marriage, the covenant that we are very familiar with, Ephesians 5, 20, actually 20 to 33, not 21 to 33. It speaks of, you'll get together, first you need to submit to one another, that's dying. The Bible says, in Genesis 2, it speaks of the, the husband and the wife will become one. When we do marriage prep, we always say this. It's like the husband thinks it's I'm the one. We're going to become like me. And then the wife thinks, no, we're going to become like me. No, God's he's making a new one. And that is a lot of sacrifice to become the new one. If they're still like, no, she must become more like me. And no, he must become more like me. That, that is not marriage. That's not covenant. It's a new one. God says, submit to one another. That's dying. Then God tells, or Paul says to the wives, hey, you need to submit to your husbands. That's dying. But the worst command actually comes to the husbands. You need to lay down your life just as Christ laid down his life for the church. That is proper dying. In, in our society, we are so focused on like, wow, horrible command. The wives must submit to husbands. I'm just, I'm glad we only had that conversation because I know somewhere down the line, somebody's just going to read further on and like, hey, husbands, <laughs> I've good news for you. You need to lay down your life. Your wife just needs to submit. You need to lay down your life for your wife. Like Christ laid down his life for the church. You know what it looks like? It is a cross. It is blood. It's heavy. It's brutal. So here is the starting point for family. Is that God says, this is the way that I want to impact the world. Family. Family relationships. Not only blood family, but family relationships. It's bold and covenant. Covenant has to do with death. Death to my own desires, my own ambitions, to everything that I need. Jesus even says, there's no greater love than the one that laid down his life for his friends. That's, he's speaking about family. He's speaking about covenant. So now we want to build great relationships. All of you want to have great relationships. We want to get the most broken, unloving people that cannot even function in the world because of they love deficiency. We want them to come into church and then now they need to become our family. 
The only way that we will be able to do that is if we die. <laughs> and we allow for the fullness of life, that's Jesus Christ's life, to come through us. We want this nation to change. We want the crime rate to drop. We want our kids, our girls one day to go to university and find godly husbands at university. But we'll have to sacrifice. So family starts with, with sacrifice. It starts with, with dying. It starts with, hey, I don't want to, I'm just, some of us are so needy. We're so, we're so needy of, of love. I want to I have the good friend. I want to have the great couple that mentors me. I want to have all of these things. You on the wrong side of what relationships are all about. The right side is to, how can I die in myself Reveal the love of God to everybody around me. You'll have lots of friends. And you'll have a great marriage. Who of you, who of the ladies here, when you, when you see your husband laying down his life for, for the family in every way, his pride, his stubbornness, his maybe even a hobby or two, you're going to say, no, yeah, I don't want that. All of you are going to get excited. Well, the husbands here are going to, going to complain about the, the wife just being submissive, listening to what you say, what is, what is important. Not backjetting, becoming too emotional about all the difficult decisions. Just say, hey, you're a great husband. You're a great leader. I'm so proud of you. Are you going to complain? You're not going to complain. Okay, so we want, we want family, but we need to start family with ourselves by dying. We follow Jesus. We're saying we're followers of Jesus, aren't we? We're followers of Jesus. So... That means like you need to follow Jesus through the cross. You need to follow him through the cross. It means you need to die. And then when you follow him through the cross, then you'll also receive the resurrection, which is the authority, the power, the gifting, the anointing, everything we need. And we follow him through the cross, through the resurrection, and ultimately also the place of being a saint.